Morning, church. <clears throat> Today I'm going to be sharing a lot of scripture and some stories, and I'm just excited to, uh, to continue our series and, uh, from Isaiah 9-6. So um, I, was, I was about 25 years old. It was about 1996. I had gone to college for five years. I went to Bible college for two years. I got a scholarship to play basketball down in southern Alabama, and so I went to the deep south, played basketball two years, and, and then uh, one more year to graduate. So five years of undergraduate and then two years of seminary. When I had, and I, when I watched, I guess I didn't have, my wife had the baby, but when, when we had our first son, I learned more about God in five minutes than in all of my training in education. That as I took that baby in my hands, as I cut the umbilical cord, as I said the very first words he would ever hear, it was a moment that I'll never, never forget. At that moment, I would do anything, and still would, for that child. This baby, his name's Hunter, he grew up. And he, he kept me up at night. He cost me lots of money. <laughs> he started doing things in his teenage years that I didn't want him to do. He even moved away from home, left. And I'll tell you this, today there's still nothing I wouldn't do for him. Because I love him. And I think about God and my relationship with him as a father. Isn't that who God is for us? That even no matter what we do, no matter what messes we make, no matter if we turn our back or even leave, when we return, God loves us. That everlasting Father from Isaiah 9-6. Here's something interesting. In all of religious scriptures, and correct me if I'm wrong because I'd love to have a discussion, but I have not seen anywhere else in other religious scriptures, not that I read them often, where the Bible is unique, that it, it talks about relating to God as a child relates to a father. And I thought, that is so cool that we get that picture and that image. And so that's how I want to kind of start as a, as a baby, as a father, thinking of Christmas. The year was 1865. A couple of very uh, unique, uh, important Significant, let's use the word, things happened in 1865. The first, in April, early April, Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. The, cunt, the country was in an uproar. Also in 1865, the, 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 the nation was in a four-year civil war. And in 65, later in April, the war ended when Confederate General Robert E. Lee surrendered to the Union General Ulysses S. Grant. Now, the final surrender happened in Galveston, Texas in, in June, on June 2nd. And in that same year, 1865, there was an English poet by the name of William Chatterton Dix who wrote a poem. He wrote a poem from the perspective of if a person was walking by the manger, let's say the manger was set like this, and was witnessing or witnessed 
Jesus being born or the birth of Christ or looking at Mary and Joseph and holding a baby in a manger of animals, what would they think? I don't know if you think about it, but it, it, it wasn't the context that you would normally see a child being born. And so these are the words he penned. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Sound familiar? Whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping. This is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. The question that he was trying to answer is, who is this baby? What child is this? That's a question every person on earth will have to answer someday. Who is this person? Who is this baby? What child is this? It seems like everybody has an answer to that question, or at least every religion. Our Muslim friends recognize Jesus. In fact, they even believe that he was born of a virgin. But they do not believe that he was God in the flesh. And of course, they don't believe he was crucified or resurrected. Our Jewish friends, of course, recognize Jesus as a great prophet, a great teacher, a a religious reformer. But our, our Orthodox Jewish friends, they do not recognize him as God in the flesh or the Messiah, the chosen one. Our Hindu friends recognize Jesus as, uh, and acknowledge him as Krishni. Krishni is the one who has reached God consciousness. Buddhists call Jesus Bhatshistata. I probably butchered that, but the best I could do. Which means someone who has attained the highest level of enlightenment. Everyone must answer that question, what child is this? I think the best way to answer it is to go to Scripture, to see what God's Word says about it. The interesting thing about Scripture, again, what makes the Bible so unique, it's why it's a bestseller, in my opinion, is not only does it tell us to relate to God like a child relates to a father, it's the only Scripture, religious Scripture, that has prophecy in it. You know what prophecy, the definition of prophecy is? It's a a prediction, It's forecasting, not the weather, but the future. Prophecy. Isaiah, the text that we're going to be teaching from today, he spoke these words 700 years before Christmas, before the birth of Jesus. He prophesied. In verse 2, Sam shared this last week. I want to share it again. It kind of sets the scene. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And then verse 6 gives us the text. Who is this child? For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government shall be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So the first thought, observation that I have is, you know, Jesus came into a dark world to be light. I am the light of the world. That's what he said. And that's part of what we celebrate in Christmas. In my mind, that's why we put lights on trees. There's probably some other religion or or some 
custom that that came from. But to me, that's about Jesus being the light of the world. There was a story I heard about a little girl who, um, you know, a lot of churches will put on like a pageant or like a little little display for kids to come up and, and go through the Christmas story. And so there was this little children's pageant and this little girl, one of the youngest girls in, in the whole group of children that were putting on this pageant, they gave her one line. And the line was, I am the light of the world. And so she went home and she practiced and practiced. She looked in the mirror and emphasized each word. Like, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. And she's practicing and practicing. And finally, the day comes for the pageant, Christmas Eve. And she gets up on stage. She's with her friends. The spotlight is shining down. Her moment comes, and she totally blanks. Lucky for her, she had the church lady as her mother. And she was, like, right in the front row telling all the kids, you know, making sure Everything was good. And so she begins to whisper, I am the light of the world. And the little girl is just frozen in the lights. So she begins, her mom saying it a little bit louder, I am the light of the world. Finally, like the fourth time, the little girl hears her, gathers herself and says, my mother is the light of the world. (laughs) I mean, how precious is that? right? The truth is, Jesus said it. He is the light of the world. It also said, as Sam shared last week, that he would be called Wonderful Counselor. And I just love the idea of Jesus as my marvelous counselor. A counselor is someone who, you know, helps you settle things in it with yourself or helps you kind of work through things with someone else. A lot of times when I've been, I go to counseling, or I've been to counseling like three times in my life for different things, it's usually, I think it's about other impacts, outside things, whether it's like my wife and I had counseling, you know, when we were early in our marriage, probably like seven years in, and they were like, okay, we can't get past this, we need some help. So we went to our pastor, got some counseling, and, and here I'm thinking, you know, she's the problem, and then you kind of find out, <laughs> oops. Uh, sorry, you know, and then you realize it's about, you know, how, what we think about ourselves. It's so important. And what we tell ourselves when we answer the question, who am I? You know, and one of the things that my father-in-law has taught me is when he gets asked that question, you know, who are you? Most people answer with what they do or their family. But he says he likes to answer it. I'm the one whom the Father loves. That's who he is. That's who I am. That's who you are. You're the one whom the Father loves. The counselor text also talks about um, uh, Jesus as a mediator, someone who helps facilitate, you know, between others, brings people together. And I love the picture of this. There was only one person in the history of the world that had the ability to reach into heaven and grab the hand of God and reach down into the earth and grab the hand of humanity and bring them together. It's Jesus Christ. Amen? Somebody? That was Jesus' role as a wonderful advocate, as a wonderful counselor, a mediator between God and man. 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men. And that man is 
It's Jesus. So this morning, if you want to relate to God, you want to solve the, and settle the sin issue that you may have with God, there's only one advocate. That's one way. It's Jesus. The German theologian and one of the leaders of the Protestant Reformation, his name was Martin Luther, 16th century. He wrote the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. So we're going to focus more on mighty God today. And so mighty fortress is our God. And he was celebrating the power of Christ, the authority of Jesus. Flex your muscles a little bit. Give a little flex. I don't, you don't need to show me. But just this is, there's, there's, a, there's something about like physical strength. And, and Martin Luther here is talking about a spiritual flex that Jesus had by the authority of the Father. He wrote, A mighty fortress is our God. And I'm going to just quote a little bit of it. It says, Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the, man, the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Saboth, his name, from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. Lewis Benson says that this hymn was sung by poor Protestant immigrants on their way to exile. It was also a hymn that was sung by martyrs walking to their death. It became like a national hymn for the Protestant Germany. As believers, we're invited to trust in Jesus as the one who will provide security, provide confidence in our lives, both in the one we're living and the one for eternity. It's like we're on this spiritual swing. And every time we swing back, we're in this life. But someday we cross into eternity. And in that swing is, is Jesus. He will be called Mighty God. Say this with me. El, El Shaddai. El Shaddai means God Almighty, Mighty God. The Bible says that's who Jesus is. He is God in the flesh. Colossians, in chapter 1 of Colossians, it says, In him dwells the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. God put on flesh in the form of Jesus when he was born in Bethlehem. Well, guess what? That child grew up. That child grew up. And one of the last things he said before he went and ascended to heaven, he gave us a command, talking about mighty fortress, talking about authority and power. In Matthew 28, starting with verse 18, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Who gave it to him, church? His father gives him the authority. He kind of like was part of the family business. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Is that all we're supposed to do, is just get people saved and baptize them? No. What was beautifully said before uh, Sam got up, Lori said, she said, we must continue in this. We must get deeper. 
And the scripture says, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Following Jesus, making a decision to have Jesus as the Savior of your life is a beautiful thing. Making him the Lord of your life is a daily devotion. Teaching them to obey my commands. Everything. And then the most beautiful promise in the world, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. There's nowhere you can go that you will be without Jesus. Here's some scriptures I want to just share about your authority. I love finding scripture, and then you find other cross-references of same words of that authority, that the, the mighty El Shaddai, God Almighty. The Greek word for that authority is exousia. And I, I love to always share this word whenever I share that text because it's one of the coolest words in, in the history of mankind. I've just got to say. It is that, that power that can only come from the creator of the universe. And exousia, it kind of makes you want to flex. It kind of makes you, it's almost like it's a, it's like a, it's like a karate, like exousia. You know, yeah. They probably get it from Exusia. I'm just saying. I'm not sure, but I love that image of like this is pure authority. It's not authority that you have to muster up and 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 kind of puff up, but it's that just that that humble like I got this. Like when you play any sport, especially like a football. And you know that there's this dude on the other team, and he knows he's a dude, which means he's a great player. Sometimes they have a little swagger. Sometimes they walk, and I love the guys. I love to coach the kids that don't talk at all, all game. I like the guys that just walk the walk, and they just have that swagger. And I'll be like, oh, man, 25, he's a dude. Watch out for him. You just, you just see it. Jesus had that swagger because of his authority. From the Father. Here are some scriptures that I want you to take to heart today. That I want you to say, God, that's for me. This is for you. Let me share some of the, the, the reminders of the authority that we have in Christ. Luke 10 19, behold, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and to tread upon serpents and scorpions, and nothing shall injure you. Amen? My job is to read. Your job is to say amen. All right? Let's practice this again. Luke 10, 19. Behold, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy and to tread upon serpents and scorpions and nothing shall injure you. Amen. Ephesians 6, 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Revelations 12, 11, and they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb. Who's the lamb? And because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even till death. Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. You guys are doing good, you guys. One more try here. John 14, 13, and 14. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Amen. Amen. 
every morning, we need to remind ourselves of this mighty God, of El Shaddai, that this baby was sent to be born in a humble manger, and yet he was God Almighty. In Ephesians 6, it reminds us of the full armor of God that we have. Because of what Christ has done, we have this as our, the truth of what we exist for. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist the devil, the evil, And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flame and the missiles of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Don't ever forget that your authority comes because of the blood of the lamb, because of Christ Jesus. But once you recognize that, have a little swagger, a little spiritual swagger. Why? Not to bring attention to yourself, but to bring glory to God. That's where the swagger comes from. And this is something you can pass on to your family to your children, to your household. I pray Ephesians 6 over my home sometimes. I pray these scriptures I just shared with you after anointing my family and reminding them of their authority and that God has them, that their angels encamped around us and he will rescue you in your time of need. Don't forget these things. I'm going to close with a, with a story I hope you like it. I doubt that it's, it's a true story, but it's a, one of my favorites. It's a story that's been told over the years. You may have heard it before, but I think it just fits so well. There once was a man whose wife was giving birth to a little baby boy. The boy made it through, but this man's wife died at birth. This man never remarried. He raised his son. He was very wealthy. And him and his son enjoyed a hobby together. Since he was wealthy, they traveled the world, and they would buy priceless pieces of art. Renoir, Monet, Van Gogh, until they had one of the finest collections of art the world has ever known. And when the young man was old enough to enlist, the nation was at war. So he became a soldier. One day, his father's heart was broken when he received a telegram that his son had been killed in battle. The telegram told him that he had much valor because he was, he was killed in battle by trying to rescue another soldier, taking him to a medic. Not long afterwards, on Christmas morning, there was a knock on the door, and when this old man opened the door, he saw a soldier carrying a bulky package wrapped in Christmas paper. The soldier said, you don't know me, but I'm the soldier your son died taking to the medic. He said, I'm not much of an artist, but I remember stories of how much your son loved collecting art and the different paintings with you. And Well, I'm very grateful for his sacrifice, so much that I I, I tried my best to paint a portrait of your son that I remember. So he gave it to him. 
Now, it was barely a good likeness, and critics, art critics would never say it was a piece of, of, of work, a great work, but the father accepted it, and with gratefulness, it became very, very important to him, his favorite piece. Years later, the man dies. Art lovers from around the world come to an auction at his estate, hoping to buy some of these masterpieces. And as the auction begins, the auctioneer says, the first painting to be auctioned is the portrait of this man's son. What's my bid for the portrait? And there's a mumbling in the crowd. All the art lovers are like, we don't want to bid on this. Let's, let's get on. Let's get to the Van Gogh. That's a piece of junk. Who cares? The auctioneer said, there were precise instructions that the man, uh, that his piece had to be auctioned. His son's portrait had to go first. So finally, a man in the back, who happened to be a gardener for the old man, and he loved the old man, he loved his son, and he thought, wow, all right, I'll give $100. So the auctioneer looked around, do I hear 150? Silence. So he says, 100 going once, 100 going twice, $100 sold to the man in the back. Everyone was anticipating the sale of the other masterpieces, but the man's attorney steps up and says, ladies and gentlemen, this concludes the auction. Everyone's in an uproar. What about these pieces? What about that on the wall? And the attorney, according to the will, the old man left, the owner left strict instructions. Whoever purchased the portrait of his son also receives all the other artwork. To quote his words, Whoever chooses my son gets it all. That's what Christmas is. God says to you, whoever chooses my son gets everything. If you want to experience life, if you want to know what Christmas is all about, choose Jesus. Amen? What child is this? He's the one who can bring you hope, He's the one who can change your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is a, a beautiful picture here of, of Jesus, your son, from being born and raised, coming into his own and the ministry those last three years changed everything for us. We're so grateful, God, that you love us individually, no matter how much we, we make a mess of things. God, you, you love us. We don't have to be perfect to earn your unconditional love. We thank you. Jesus, you are more than a wonderful counselor. You're more than everlasting father. You're more than the Prince of Peace. You're more than mighty exousia, God. You're our best friend. You're our savior. And you're always with us. We thank you for that. Jesus, if there's, if there's anyone here that, that hasn't made that decision, I just pray, Lord, that they're, they're able to, to come to a place where they represent and understand, A, uh, that there is sin in their life, and they, they admit it. But also, Lord, that you have given us a way out of the, the eternal death uh, because of our sin. Because of you, Lord Jesus, we have forgiveness. We have redemption. We have like this reconciliation 
we have a new beginning in you. And so we receive your forgiveness and grace like we did during communion as we remember you, the blood that was poured out, your body that was beaten. And because of that act of love and sacrifice, we can be with you for eternity. So I thank you, Lord, and I help us to remember what, what child is this? Who is Jesus? He's the one. He's the one that can change the world. Amen? Amen. Amen.